Welcome to episode 104 of the Left Behind Game Club. This week, we play Psychonauts. If you've listened to a few episodes of the show, do us a favor. Leave us a review on your podcasting platform of choice. It helps a lot. If you want to follow us on social media, you can do so at Left Behind Club on Twitter and at Left Behind Game Club on Instagram. If you like talking about video games with great people, check out the link to our Discord. You can find the link to that on our website, leftbehindgame.club. Without further ado, let's get right into it. You're listening to the Left Behind Game Club. Welcome to the Left Behind Game Club, our never-ending attempt to make sure that no game is left behind. I'm your host, Jacob McCord, and today I have three friends with me. The first friend, you know him, you love him. His name is Michael Ruffalo. I am the milkman, and my milk is delicious. Here to talk about his milk as well is our second friend, Momotati. There was a Dragon Ball Z reference. I will get to it. And for the first time on the show, our third friend today, a member of the Left Behind Game community and an excellent content creator in her own right, Control-Alt-Noob, a.k.a. Laura. Laura, welcome to the show. Welcome. welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Yeah. So if people don't follow your work online, um, why don't you tell us kind of what you'd like to focus on in your content creation? Yeah. So I have a YouTube channel and I do quite a lot of Let's Plays about story games. And then I also cover the ps plus games and the indie game festivals too on steam so i do quite a bit of a variety and i just started streaming too so and what do you like to stream uh fall guys right now (laughs) we need to ask Uh, how many crowns do you have how many crowns how many win crowns i have seven seven (laughs) seven more than dang that's a lot of of flex Um, this is not a show about Fall Guys, though. This is a show about uh, Psychonauts, which is a game developed and published by, uh, or rather, developed by Double Fine Productions and published by Majesco and others. This game had a weird <laughs> release schedule that we'll get into. Uh, but before we get into that, I want to start with a, a segment we like to call our Fast Pitch. It is a segment where we give a one-sentence summary of the game. So I'm going to ask for everyone to give us their one sentence pitch and i will start this time um psychonauts is a psychedelic summer camp thriller but there's no murderer i think who wants to go next uh i'll take one off the top of my head uh psychonauts is a wacky adventure where all the levels are the weirdest dreams you could have ever imagined Okay, I'll go for it. Psychonauts is a psychic action platformer that takes place in the minds of the enemies you're trying to defeat. Damn it, Michael, you always beat us. Can I go after that? (laughs) (laughs) So, right, imagine X-Men and imagine they're all kids and they've sent a summer camp to learn Inception. (laughs) (laughs) You just got owned, Michael. How does it feel? (laughs) We brought in backup this time. (laughs) It hurts. It hurts. (laughs) Uh, why don't you all tell me kind of what your personal history is, is is with Double Fine and Psychonauts? Because this game came out in 2005, which makes it one of the oldest games that we've played on the show. So why don't you tell me what you knew about it before we get into it? Mo, why don't you start? Sure. Um, so 
I grew up as a PlayStation boy, um, so I never actually saw this in my like world because I, I had the uh, the PlayStation One, the PlayStation Two, PlayStation Three growing up. So Psychonauts, I believe, was the a launch title for the Xbox original. So it, I've never played it, never seen it, but I, the, the art style I feel like I've seen everywhere. But I kind of think it might be my subconscious because Mike has been telling us we have to play Psychonauts for so long. I probably just like created it in my brain and now I have a level that we can play. Uh, I accepted you like exactly. like Oleander did with the Milkman into Boy's exactly, Head. Exactly. Yeah. You, you created Psychonauts in my brain before I saw it because you just all of your praise. That's what there I know. Nothing yeah. except for what Michael said. Yeah, Mike, you've pushed us hard to play this one. So why don't you go next? Psychonauts is a game that I first played as a demo. I think it was a, on a demo disc for the official Xbox magazine that I got as a kid. And uh, I remember being just incredibly enraptured with the entire concept of it being a platformer, but also taking place in, in the minds of the people that you were interacting with and the levels uh, that you were playing reflected that person. Um, and I thought it was so cool, so captivating. And, uh, I thought, I think at the time, especially because it was an Xbox exclusive, uh, it was even more cool. And, uh, and when I played it, it became one of the games that I thought was, was a high watermark for gaming. It's, it was incredibly, uh, unique for the time, incredibly clever. It was everything that I wanted games to be more of. And, uh, and so I played it back in the day and I think I've played it one or two times since. And that's pretty rare for me because I typically don't go back and play video games. Hmm. Uh, Laura, what did you know about this game, uh, before we started playing it for the show? I knew nothing. Like you sent me the name. I looked it up. I was like, what is this game? I've never heard of it before. Um, but it had really good reviews. So I was like, oh, we'll see. That's kind of all of my experience with this game. And Jacob, what about you? Um, I am a huge Double Fine fan. I've said it when we've covered other games, you know, Costume Quest. Uh, we've played, I think, one more Psychonaut, like one other Double Fine game on this show. But I'm a huge Double Fine fan. I played this game when it first came out. I, I played this on the original Xbox disc that I bought when I first got it. Follow the game through all of its trials and tribulations. The fact that this game almost didn't get published. Microsoft, it is the funniest thing to talk about in hindsight because Microsoft dropped this game as the publisher and almost sank Double Fine because of it. And now Microsoft owns Double Fine. Uh, Majesco ended up picking up the rights to put it out. You know, Majesco back in the day, they would have published games like, um, oh, what? I can't even name off the top of my head, Advent Rising, which was a game on the original Xbox that they published. Um, but this game almost didn't come to be. It is literally on every platform now. You know, it's on Windows, PS2 as a PS2 classic, so you can get it on PS3 and PS4. You can play it on Mac. You can play it on Linux. I think it was on GameTap for a little while, too, if you remember GameTap. Um, but I was a huge fan. I would put this game in my top 10 games of all time um, before we replayed it for the show. Um, but I digress. Wow, uh, okay. Get into loaded, our loaded. Let's see if Jake yeah, and I loaded. have to fight. Yeah, I think we're going to have a fight. Um, before we get right into it and talk about the game, um, how did you play? Like I said, I played it uh, with my original Xbox disc in my Xbox One. Mike, let's start with you. How did you play? I played the emulated version on my Xbox One. Okay. Oh. Um, I, I played it on Steam with this guy, my Xbox controller. I actually didn't know I had it. 
I don't know when I got it, but I have Psychonauts owned in my Steam library, which surprised me because I was about to put it in my cart, and it's like, in library already. Love it. Don't you love when that happens? I, I, I want to give credit to Humble Bundle just because I put so many Humble Bundles in those carts, but I don't know where it came from. It's great. Yeah, it is great, Michael. And I played it on uh, PS4, the PS2 Classic, so I think we all played it differently, didn't we? Yeah. And I, I just want to ask, how did it perform on PlayStation and PC? Because on Xbox, and Mike, I don't know how you felt, but I felt like the emulation wasn't perfect, and I could feel kind of how old this game was when I was playing it. Where, uh, I mean, before before they hop into that, when you say you didn't feel that it was perfect, what what did you feel was uh, was off or missing? So the smallest little things, I had the game... Um, crash on me one time and it was like a, it froze on the loading screen uh, and then the load times they had created these great screens between like moving between different areas and because the game loaded so fast it would like load into the load screen and then immediately load out of the load screen so again I'm a crazy person these are the smallest possible things but that's kind of what I was saying is that it, it wasn't perfect but it, it's still very serviceable yeah, on PC it was like it looked just like it was a mid to early two thousands like style game, but like it it maneuvered fine. Like I thought it was just like it's just the way it is. Like I remember when you guys played Shadow of the Colossus, you were like, "Whoa, this is like really hard to maneuver." This one was way better. It was it was more so like a I found it as like that when someone thinks about like I'm building a game where you see it in a movie, like they're testing a brand new game. I feel like this is the mechanics and the look and feel that you usually see in those movies. Just the standard platforming traversing from the early 2000s yeah it was fine with me there was a few bugs um there was one where every time you saved it the music got stuck on a loop that was a bit strange but um i don't know if that was specific to playstation 4 or what but yeah but largely like good yeah gameplay felt fine Mm -hmm. as good as can be expected for an older game like that yeah jacob now that you mention it i had one point that it froze as i was entering Mm -hmm. the asylum uh, but other than that, I didn't have any issues. It performed pretty smoothly. I definitely would not throw any stones at it for moving through the loading screens quickly. Um, yeah, overall, I yeah ran pretty well for me. Like I said, I'm an absolute crazy person. Oh, I know. Um, <laughs> you know very, very, very well. Um, Laura, you, you started to talk about gameplay a little bit. So why don't we talk about what kind of game this is? And I, I think it's fair to say that this is like a like an mid-2000s action-adventure platformer. Is that kind of a fair assessment of, of the gameplay? Yeah, absolutely. It gave me, like, the the reminders of, like, the old Ratchet and Clank, the... the um, um, Sly Cooper. Yeah, Sly Cooper, exactly that. That's actually the one I was going to be, like, talking about later Voodoo on. Voodoo Vince. Yeah, Voodoo Vince. Oh, man, taking me back. Yeah, it's like, the, you know, the flo- it's an old classic platformer where your jumps are almost like where you're floating, if that kind of makes sense, like there's a few games where there's like a very clean, precise jump, like in Mario, it's like boop, boop, whereas this one's like boop, boop, with a lot of things. I know the noises don't help, but maybe they help a bit to explain the jumps, the slower, no, long totally. jumps. They're a little bit totally. floatier. Yeah. Um, Laura, had you played a lot of games like this, like a, like platformers? Because I know that you said earlier that you love story games. So was this kind of a first for you as far as platformers went? Yeah, 
very much a first. I never played any of those games that you just mentioned. Um, Yeah, I haven't. I mean, Uncharted is the closest game that I can think of, and it's nothing like it. So (laughs) you played all the polished golden games that are now. I guess they're a testament to how the games in the past, like the, those were the, the the stepping stones to get to Uncharted. We had to struggle through these uh, platforms. <laughs> yeah, I'm appreciating the history lesson playing these old games. Lessons learned along the way. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, it, it's definitely an old school action platformer. Um, you have some basic combat mechanics with punching and, and kicking, and it all all of these mechanics ultimately use the fact that your character Raz that you're playing as is psychic and so whenever he throws a punch there's a giant psychic punch that's thrown out whenever he does his ground slam there's a, a giant hand uh, on the top of his head that smacks the ground as he lands um, so everything's a little bit exaggerated uh, and uh, especially with the jumps there's a, there's a little psychic ball that appears under him when he when he does the double jump should we should we set up the game? Should we mm-hmm. set up kind of the the psychic summer camp? Yeah, go for it. Let, so, Jacob, what what's the premise of the game? Yeah, so I think that both you and Laura kind of nailed it when you were talking. It's like a psychic summer camp. Think X Men, where all these kids have some degree of psychic powers. Gifted youngsters. And gifted youngsters. Where's Xavier? Who knows? But. Um, Raz is actually not part of the camp. So he breaks into the camp because he wants to become a psychonaut, which is like this world's version of a like FBI agent that has psychic <laughs> powers. So he breaks into the camp and like becomes a camper at the at the camp, but then very quickly realizes that there is a large plot that he has kind of stumbled into. And we're given the first sense right there in that opening scene when he stumbles in that he is an incredibly gifted uh, psychic user. Um, all of the camp counselors are trying to control him when they think he's a monster in the woods coming out, and they can't enter his mind. They can't control where he is. They would normally be able to, you know, these are these are some of the, the best FBI, essentially, agents that they have, and they can't take take control of this, this youngster. Um, and then we find out it's just this this funny looking kid named Raz with some goggles on top of his head. Yeah, and not only that, they also solve like the uh, the issue of like how do you create like your main character's like background history to make him believable in the game. So he escapes from the circus, so that gives you kind of like the acrobatic background, like oh he's able to walk on wires, he's able to jump like really weird. Like it's almost like this character was made to be the action platformer because oh he, the reason why he jumps like really well is he's an acrobat like problem solved move on to the actual story kind of thing the the thing that i think you know double fine does incredibly well i mean they do a lot of things incredibly well but they make characters i think just about better than anyone you know i'm sure um the people at obsidian can give them a run for their money i'm sure that there are you know a few other developers out there that can do it but the team at double fine creates characters with backstories that are internally consistent and have a nice little wink and nod and laugh to them, I think better than just about anyone. And I I think that, you know, there's there's one of the best things throughout this game. They give an explanation for why your character can't touch water, which is this old family curse. Um, <laughs> and that that was just a normal thing in a lot of these platformers that there there's elements that you can't touch and they even add a story element to it that is more than just, you know, a, a throwaway line. 
Yeah, and you know, I was thinking about the other games we played on the show. We played Broken Age, but Laura, you're also playing a Double Fine game on stream right now, correct? Correct. I just started playing Grim Fandango cool. for the first time. It's it's a similar thing where the characters already seem pretty well developed and well written too. So I'm I appreciate why you're a fan of this developer. Mm-hmm. And, and this game has like its own like even layers on top of that because Eric Wolpaw is also a writer on this game and he wrote some of the like best stories and games. He wrote Portal, Portal Two. Um, he wrote on Artifact at Valve and he wrote uh, Half Life Alex. So mm-hmm. like tons of great pedigree on this game. Not only like development but even like art people that did art on this game went on to do art for games like broken age um there's just a lot of talent at double fine and i can't stop talking about it whenever we play one of their games so getting back to the actual story of of this game um raz at the summer camp he starts to learn different powers and things like that uh and i don't know if you felt this way y'all but what i felt is that this game I, I guess the biggest fault I had with it is that maybe it didn't, like, start really quickly. Like, it didn't go 0 to 60 in 3 seconds. Like, it took a little while to, like, learn things, play around in the summer camp before you got your real first cool um, uh, trip into someone's head. So, I, I think there's a key element there that is different about platformers than just about any other game, which is platforms are all about the movement. And so you need some time to have just a sandbox to play around, learn the jumps, because nothing feels worse than when you're, you know, on a timed run through the mind of a military captain and there are bombs going off everywhere and, you know, the floor is falling from underneath you and you can't make a jump because you're not used to the controls. Um, and so I think, I think the fact that they give you this, this open world to an extent this playground, this campground to, to, to walk around, to get to know some of your, er, your fellow, uh, campmates, um, and, and learn how to do the jumps and climb trees and, uh, you know, do acrobatics. I think those are all useful little, uh, interludes before they really thrust you into the meat of the story. I think I just discovered what Mike's like, how we evolved from our previous podcast. We had our 100 episode and we were trying to figure out how we've changed over the past. I think Michael, you being like the film buff that you are, that, that we, that we all know, you will uh, be completely defensive and obsessive over any game that has a solid story or a complex story where there's <laughs> levels to it. So Jacob was just making a general comment of like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm okay with it, but it just didn't start right away. You're like, listen here. It is a perfect game. <laughs> it was written perfectly. It's the best game. <laughs> and that's kind of what where you, you miss there, Mo, is I push my glasses higher up off the bridge of my nose. <laughs> exactly. Well, actually, it's the best game of all time. So right. moving on, Jacob. <laughs> No, no, I, I I don't take any fault with the way the story progressed. It's just like there was a lot of training, I guess. And I don't know if y'all were frustrated, but like playing the first two to three hours of this game were kind of frustrating, especially kind of going into Oleander's head and going through that military like battle area with learning things. Like it was dark, it was tough, and like 
I think maybe that's not the best first impression that I've ever played in a game. I am going to love and defend this game in the end, Mike. So, like, don't worry, because it's on my top ten games of all time list, so we're going to talk. But it's just interesting to go back and play, one, a platformer like this in 2020, but also, like, play a game that was originally developed for the Xbox. I mean, you are entirely entitled to whatever opinion you might have, whether it is right or wrong. All I know, okay, is that uh, I think that I think that those... The pacing of it was well done and designed with the the frustrations of platformers in mind. Um, so, I mean, I, hey, you have your experience. I have mine. I felt good about the pacing of it. I honestly did. I thought there might have been a little too much open world right at the beginning. But I, I you know, I definitely didn't, uh, I definitely didn't wish that they threw me into, uh, you know, the mind of Oleander sooner. I also agree with Mike. Um, as someone that's like not really played these Laura. types of games before, <laughs> thanks. Um, it was perfect for me to give me the opportunity to figure out how the controls work, and I actually really enjoyed the open world side of it because there's like so many little secrets and stuff. So I spent like the first couple of hours just in the open world before I even got to the first mission. So I was like really appreciated the freedom of it. No, that's that's actually awesome to know because like I think Mike's coming very biased because it's like one of his favorite games. Jacob really likes it too, but so he has a little bit of history. I came in playing it as like let's see why these guys really like this game, and I thought the pacing was okay too, just like you thought, it, Laura. It was very um, and I think that's the perspective we want to see is is it is it really easy for someone who's played it a long time? Is it really easy for someone who hasn't played it? And I think we found like it's it's a mix of everything for everyone, but more so it's very well paced. I think. Um, everything's gradually introduced to you. I do want to say though, it's not one of those games that like you pick up and you compare it to the same standards as like a AAA title right now. It's definitely one where it's like take it at face value. Just just enjoy the experience. Don't critique it when you play it. Just start playing and see where it goes. Like you might like it, you might not like it, but don't put the hammer down. I guess in the first thirty minutes. Yeah, I mean, it goes without saying that all of the defending, I guess, or perspective that I share is still within the caveat that it is a 15-plus-year-old game, and design in games has changed a lot since then. I still think that, uh, you know, without skipping to the end, it holds up extremely well, um, but it, it is a product of its time. Yeah, um, I want to just go back to a, something you mentioned, Laura, that you spent a lot of time in the open world. Um, there's a lot of collectibles in this game. And that's kind of like a trope of, I guess, like these mid-2000s to like 2010-esque platformers. Did you spend a lot of time collecting things like the the side cards and other things the like arrowheads. that? The arrowheads. Yeah, I spent such a long time doing that. <laughs> I am... Um... Yeah, but I felt like it was really rewarding because it always progressed your level in the game. It gave you like better abilities and stuff like this. So I was like really encouraged to continue hunting for the collectibles. We should probably talk a bit about the abilities in the game. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I think they do such a good job of pacing out those abilities so that way you have time to learn it before they start throwing more at you. And I think it was only when you get towards the end of the game that they... They give you a bunch of abilities all at once where you've already mastered the, you know, the basics that you need to get there. Um, and I think all of the abilities have a fun little edge on the idea of your character being a psychic. There's uh, the ability of clairvoyance that allows you to look through the lens of any other character or camera and see how they perceive you. And that, I think, is one of the, the funniest bits. 
if you go and you look at all the different uh campmates around and you can see how they see you <laughs> if you look at boyd the milkman or boyd the guard he sees you as a giant bottle of milk uh <laughs> if you look at uh all the different characters they see you through the lens of whatever their psychosis is and i thought that was such an amazing take to think of all the work that they would have to go back in and do to to make sure that they could you know represent that i thought that was phenomenal yeah, Mike, I think you nailed this. It's the fact that each character is complex and has, like, a thorough, like, foundation of how they behave, how they react, how they perceive things. And it's not just, like, oh, that's just a, a boss. Don't worry about it. He's just angry. He, no, there's complexity to what he sees and why he's acting the way he is. And that little bit of writing to, like, add that complexity, we don't see even, like, to this day. It's more so, like, that's that fiery demon that's about to destroy the city. Just beat him up kind of thing. There's more to that in this game. It's not just that. Maybe that fiery demon is justified, and you're the bad guy if you just kind of saw his eyes. Like, that's yeah. that's the great thing. There's there's something nice about seeing the attention to detail in a way that uh, I think when we see attention to detail in modern games, it's oh look, there's this room is set up like someone's actual room. There's a radio on the table. There's you know a letter that they started writing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And that level of detail you couldn't get in the games of, you know, 2005. You could only render so much in so much detail. And I think what the Double Fighting team did is, is show that same level of attention to detail in, in other ways uh, that were especially unique to the game. Yeah, that was one of my favorite things about this game was the attention to detail. And I was extremely shocked when I was playing it. And I was like... This is such an old game. I didn't expect half of this, but there's like loads of animals running around and you can like look through their eyes as well. The two little girls see you as like a fly, like an annoying fly buzzing around. And I was like, that is genius. Like it's like you were saying, it's not actually something you see that much in games nowadays. Never mind back then. Yeah, I want the Psychonauts, like, Saturday morning cartoon. Like, yes. I could have seen this fitting so well on, like, Nickelodeon or even, like, Disney. Maybe not Disney, but, like, Nickelodeon. Like, this would fit in so well. And the voice of Raz is Richard Horvitz, who is the voice of Invader Zim from Nickelodeon. So if you and like this... a bunch this, of other characters. And a bunch of other characters, too. You're right. And uh, what's funny is Costume Quest got turned into a cartoon... That's available on Prime. I think it was Frederator that did the cartoon. But, like, I still to this day want a Psychonauts cartoon. I'm with you. And that's one thing. I, like, it gives you that nostalgic feel of, like, an old school, like, 90s, like, I guess, sorry, two, or 2000s TV show. Laura, did you get a sense of nostalgia at all with any of the, like, the characters? Or did you just enjoy them at face value being, like, these guys are quirky, they're funny, they're always jabbing at each other, there's a little bit of dynamic between the characters? Like, was there a nostalgia bit to it, or was it purely... This is just a fresh, cool, little, fun game. Yeah, it wasn't nostalgia for me. It was all just, like, fresh, and it just felt so well-written. And, like, I just found it absolutely hilarious that so many of these kids have so many adult problems. <laughs> and I was like, I've never seen it before in, like, a game. And I was like, that's genius. I think that, yeah. <laughs> Not nostalgia, though. Yeah. The characters are, me. are so well-written. And excuse me while I continue to gush effusively about it. But th there, there are so many great little you know camp guests that are with you if you see like the one that stands out in, in my mind the most is dugan uh or dogan who is a little he looks like a football uh with green <laughs> skin and a helmet made of tinfoil and he is always talking about 
uh, in a very like soft voice how uh, no matter what happens, someone's head is going to explode. <laughs> and Raz asks, like, why is that? Is that something you do? And Dogen says, no. I mean, maybe that one time that happened once or twice. Um, and, and you find out that Dogen's this like incredibly strong psychic kid and he just happens to be popping people's heads left and right. And he's just so funny as a character, just like wobbling his way through the world as a football shaped being. So it's so funny hearing this, Michael, from you, because it's like you're trying to explain it and I know exactly what you're explaining, but I can just see it from someone who doesn't know what you're talking about. They're like, I don't get it. Okay. There's a guy with a tinfoil hat and he blows people. (laughs) And that's the beauty with this game. Like you have to play it and see the different things from his art style to the way he talks to his emphasis, to the voice acting. It's, it, it all makes that little moment that you explain so much better once you've kind of seen it. Like it's, that's the best part about it. Even Bobby in this game, the, the Bobby who's got like, Bobby Zilch, who's got the, like, dumb carrot top, like, hairdo, and he's got, like, four teeth that are, like, sticking out in front, and he's got, like, you just want to, like, punch him in the face because, like, he's such a terrible person, and uh, all the characters, we've talked about Dogen, we talked about Bobby, but they've all got their own, like, weird, quirky design, um, even something like the, um, the lungfish, uh, I forget what the lungfish's name, like, that is a wild Linda. design that I just Linda. I just want to know like who came up with Linda and like how under the influence were you when Linda came to your mind? Yeah, and and all of these characters have their own. They live their own little lives inside of the camp, right? You'll find Maloof, the the Russian kid with this Tsarist Russian hat on his head, fighting the psychic bear uh, in in the woods that is giving you a hard time. Um, you'll find. Um, I'm blanking on the kid's name, but he's the one that's being hounded by the girl that just wants to make out with him. Um, and they they all live their own little lives inside of the camp. There's the incredibly, I don't know if they're names, but maybe you, maybe you remember. They are the essentially the cheerleaders, uh, the pep squads, that they are extremely enthusiastic about just about everything. And I think where I left them was standing at the top of the cabin. And I looked like they were about to jump or something. Um, but it, it was, they, they all have their own little lives. There's little things that you can find and storylines that you can follow throughout the camp. Um, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, definitely. I, I kept going back between each mission and every mission changed the open world. So it was really worth spending some time again, going around talking to everyone. And that's how you figured out what their story was. Like literally every character had an arc. It was amazing. Um, this game like really starts cooking though when so the premise I don't think that we've like explicitly said is that one of the things you can do is you have this little door and this door allows you to throw it on someone's forehead and travel inside of their mind and everyone's mind is a little bit different uh and in some ways like some people's minds are absolutely wild so like you go through the basic training you go into basic kind of braining. two of your Basic braining, thank you. Uh, you go into Sasha and you go into um, uh, Mila's heads, and they kind of give you the the lay of the land. And their the inside of their brains are like one's a little psychedelic, one's a, a disco party. But after that, like you go into like progressively wilder people's heads. Did y'all have like a favorite level that you wanted to talk about? Because some of them like get really out there. I think the best one of all time is uh 
well, when technically, when Coach Oleander becomes the Japanese like Godzilla, um, <laughs> Super Megazord, like in the cities. So there's a few things I want to talk about because that's obviously my favorite moment. Uh, one, I, I for some reason I get pure entertainment whenever I play a game where you're like some big person like running around the city and like toppling buildings Godzilla style. It just looks so funny and unrealistic, but let's just kind of go with it. Another thing I mentioned in the intro, um, there was a Dragon Ball Z reference. And I think there is. There could be an argument for it. I googled it afterward to make sure I was okay. Um, so Kochamara, or how do you Kochamara? Uh, he has a, a triangle <laughs> beam attack. So if you remember when he shoots the laser beam at you, that is a direct attack from a character called Tian. He's the third-eyed character in uh, Dragon Ball Z. His special attack is a tri-beam like cannon. So they definitely ripped that off. So I loved it because of that. Full stop. <laughs> And is that why that was your favorite level? Yeah, absolutely. It's more so than like I I really enjoy the like ridiculousness of having those like Megazord style characters with like the basic standard poly buildings and like cars flying around. That just that environment. Whenever there's like a fight, like those Power Ranger scenes when Power Rangers are fighting against Megazords, it's I, I die laughing just for the scene itself, and that's why. I love the little interstitials of the fish people of that land. Uh, you know, cutting to the TV while they're doing their reporting and talking in a reporter's voice, but it's a little fish that's talking. They're like, um, you know, the giant is here and blah, 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 blah. I thought that was so funny. It was so clever. Um, and it was fun to, you know, get that foreshadowing that it is Oleander. That is the, that is the, the big bad throughout this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can talk about one of my favorites. Uh, I can talk about, uh, I think it's called Black Velvetopia. That to me was one of my favorites. Edgar. So he's an artist and I believe like he is from Spain. And so uh, the inside of his world is this like reverse neon. So like imagine instead of like being very bright, it's a lot of black with neon. And then uh, he's essentially in his mind building this card tower so he can escape from his own mind. But there's also this bull. So we can get to his love. Yes, you're right. Um, and El Odio is this bull that is just terrorizing him in his brain. So your whole job is to go through like the streets of Spain in this like really cool neon aesthetic and avoid El Odio while collecting cards that you beat off of or that you get from beating like luchador wrestlers. So like it had cool aesthetic. There was a there was a bull, and then there was wrestling on top of it. Like, come on, they made this game for me, for me. Yeah. That's so funny that that's your favorite level because that was one of my least favorite levels. There <laughs> we go. There so we go. <laughs> <laughs> I just found like it was very dark, and the bull was like really annoying because it was like constantly vibrant in the controller, and I was like not enjoying that level. That was the one that I didn't explore very much at all. Um. But my favorite one was the Waterloo World, or is that what it was called? Yes. It was the board game one. Napoleon that Bonaparte. One, like, yes, that one. It blew my mind. It was like, so you go in and these people are playing this board game and then you go into the board game and play the game for them. Then you have to go even smaller onto the board to recruit the fighters to be part of the game to then win this battle against Napoleon. And it's like... so trippy and epic and that was by far my favorite level i think that is one of the best uh personalities to level like uh translations 
they had and and the setup for that is i think his name's fred bonaparte is the ward <laughs> of the asylum and um I'm blanking on the name of the the kid in the asylum that ends up taking over and putting him in a straitjacket, but it makes him lose his mind. And the person who's tormenting him in his own mind is his ancestor, Napoleon Bonaparte, who <laughs> says that he's weak for having, you know, you know, not having the will to fight and not being able to to take on this battle. And so you go into his mind to help him win the fight to defeat Napoleon himself, this little blue square man. Uh, and when you finally defeat him, you unlock the, I think, at least for me, it was the last piece of the equation to impersonate the, the good doctor and ride up to the top of the asylum. Uh, but I, I am completely with you that that is one of the best levels, um, just based on the level of, you know, sizing that you go into. You're, you're, you're playing the, the person-to-person game. You're playing essentially the hexagonal uh, version of Catan. Um, it, it's it's all there. I was extremely into that one. So you are starting off in this building, but then if you look out of the window, you see that like you are in the board, and then when you go down into the game, you look in the window of one of the buildings, and you see yourself in the building where the board is. So you are like in this absolute paradox of like smallness. It's so bizarre. Love it. They did. They did mm. such a great job with it. And Jacob, to your point, um, I love that that mind or that map as well. And uh, the the backstory to that is Edgar is this guy who was on the wrestling team and lost the love of his life to the quarterback. And when he loses the love of his life to the quarterback, he's despondent and loses all of his wrestling matches. And the wrestling team is now upset with him. And that's why the four bosses that you have to defeat in that level are all wrestlers. They're all his teammates who are upset with him along the way. And I, I again, they do such a good job breaking it down because if you go into the sewers of his mind, of those streets, you see desks from a high school. You find the vault that tells the backstory. And the dog painters that are in the little alleyways are telling you the the story. And when Raz says, wow, I mean, like, that's crazy. Now I wonder what the difference is with, uh, with, El, with El, El Odeo or... And the dog's just going to be like, yes, that's actually two separate stories. That is not the same person. Right. Right. Um, and essentially just telling you, like, all of these people have these these little inner demons that they're struggling with. Um, but it's often just covering up a story for the underlying reason. Um, and I thought, you know, I, I could gush effusively about this game nonstop. But I think that was another great level. But even within levels, like, the story gets filled in with some of the figments that you find. Not the figments, but, like, the baggage, uh, some of the other collectibles. But there's a – is it called, like, the vault? The like, vault. Like, where you find, like, like a little vault that's, like, a little puppy dog. And you punch the vault open and you get this, like um, – I forget what those were called. But they were, like, the kid slide, like – toys back in back in like the 90s but it would give you like a slideshow of like one of their biggest either like uh mental obstacles or things that formed who they are as a person so like i could i could gush about this game too um i guess my issue with the waterloo world was that this game has a very set save system where you have to like finish a part of the level or else if you save and quit like you actually like have to start from the beginning so i think with waterloo world i had to like i tried to save halfway through and then 
quit and then came back and had to start over. So maybe that's why I wasn't mm-hmm. so keen on it. So interesting thing there that I think you might not have realized that if you on the main menu on the title screen, which again is one of my favorite bits here, it is a brain with three different doors. If you hop into the door to load the most recent save, it will not bring you to your most recent save. It will bring you to the most recent auto save. So you would have to go in and load specifically load in the manual save that you made. Which is hey, why I think you called you were, me on my BS. No, it, I mean it is BS in the game that it doesn't just pick the save with the most recent time, um, that it picks the most recent auto save. But I completely understand why you're in that scenario. It happened to me a couple times. That's so interesting because the brain in the PS4 version only had two doors, so you always had to manually load. So I didn't have that problem neither. <laughs> So I think what we're saying here is that if you're considering a version to play, and I don't know, Mo, if if it's the same on the PC, but maybe the OG Xbox version is not the best version to play just for that small reason. If you have multiple systems and can play it somewhere else. I think the the best version is PC. It's it's not frame rate capped. You can use a controller if you'd like, etc., etc. Yeah, it was buttery smooth, like and clear, clear as well. Um, but I still think, like, even with the saves, like you, ca- you can get over it. Like the story writing, the complexity in the game is like we're nitpicking as to like what's what's a small thing um, to like bash a game with, kind of thing. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, my favorite level. So I, I love, I love everything in this game. I think even the levels I know that what you're I gonna say. did not like very much, like Gloria's Mind, I thought was fantastic from a storytelling perspective. Gloria, who's you know manic, um, manic depressive or, or bipolar in some respects, you control the level by switching between happy and sad, and you tell the story that way. I thought even that one, which I did not have any fun playing, was really well done from a story perspective. But the best level, I think it is the one that any fan of it would tell you is the milkman conspiracy (laughs) where as soon as you walk into the asylum there is boyd a security guard scribbling uh pepe sylvia all over the wall trying to uh, decipher his conspiracy and you throw the door onto his head and you get inside his mind and you find that he's stuck inside this house with paper sprawled everywhere and he's telling you about the milkman conspiracy but he won't tell you anything about the milkman and what you come to find out over the course of this level is that Oleander took this guy, Boyd, who when he was fired from his job, he broke, he snapped, and he threw Molotov cocktails and milk bottles at the place that he was fired from and was set to, set to uh, a mental institution. And from there, Oleander came and implanted the concept of the milkman deep inside his brain as a defense mechanism so that way if anyone got close to the asylum and was able to decipher his plans, Boyd would burn the place to the ground and take it down before anyone could figure out what was happening up above. And so the the story of the milkman conspiracy, I think in all of these other levels, we see these, you know, these enemies called the sensors. And they're these little men who look like accountants uh, with big sensor buttons that are are coming after you to take you down. Um, And they're described earlier in the game as your brain's defense mechanism for when uh, there's cognitive dissonance or things that don't belong. And in Boyd's world, we don't see any sensors. 
there it is his mind is so jacked up that there is no sensor at all and then when they do show up they're not even coming after you they're coming after everything else in the world like the milkman himself and so it's this insane mario galaxy-esque suburban 1950s town that you have to uh, make your way through and the paranoia is everywhere every mailbox every fire hydrant every uh, telephone line has a camera sticking out and pointing at you and um, to me it's it's one of the best best lines just like in portal where you have the cake is a lie i think in uh, in psychonauts if you say i am the milkman and his milk is delicious everyone will know that you've played it and that you've enjoyed it as well. And you, you made one quick comment that I just want to have you explain a little deeper. You said like Mario Galaxy-esque, and that's because in this world, like every part of the world is almost on like a little like Galaxy-esque moon, which is so different than everything else in the game. Yeah. Un- unlike in Mario Galaxy, where everything is a perfect little sphere wrapped around itself with a center of gravity, there's no clear center of gravity in Boyd's mind because it's all just folding in on itself. The straight street ends up flipping upside down, and um, it is one of the most, I think, well-put-together levels in-, in games that I can remember. Um but also just such a fun little storyline along the way. Did you guys enjoy um, it? Yeah, I think that I thought of like stuff like the Twilight Zone, and I know that I'm like speaking about the most like common or top level thing, but like that's what I thought of just because it was like it was so bizarre. Even when you would go inside of a house in that level, the perspective in the house would be like not normal it would be like someone was staring at you from a security camera and you would have to like go into separate parts of the house go into the fridge and there's nothing in the fridge like even the small details um were very cool in this level yeah it it gave me um a kind of a sense of uh, you know the batman arkham games whenever there was like a scarecrow like boss battle how they change the perspective it goes from like a 3d platformer to like just like a 2d platformer um that's where it kind of it's, it's definitely if you think of like if someone made a movie about some crazy dreams or like something like the, the, what what's inside your brain when you're angry or sad or whatever it might be that's what that does and there's no bounds as to like where it goes like the perspective having a, the, the the mini uh, i guess uh planets like you guys are talking about nothing is off like off the rails it's any dream is possible so any level is possible and this game does a good example of creating every single permutation that you can think of so I think we've talked about kind of some of the, the earlier levels. We've talked about Lungfishopolis, which was great. The Milkman Conspiracy, Glorious Theater, Waterloo World, Black Velvetopia. I guess what I want to, what I want to do now is start to tell folks about the, the two kind of final levels and how the game kind of comes to, a, comes to a head after, you know, eight to ten hours of gameplay. And that's with the Asylum Tower, right? Yeah, so, you know, once you... Com- so you need to defeat all of these mental patients in, in the asylum to get a piece from each of them. You need to get Gloria's trophy to replicate the doctor's hand. You need to get Napoleon or Fred Bonaparte's straight jacket to replicate the doctor's jacket. You need to get a painting of the doctor from Edgar to imitate his face. And when you do that, you get all of those together, you put them on, and you can go up into the top of the tower. And as you make your way around, you find these brains in a jar. And these are all brains of the different camp uh, camp attendees that are that are with you, 
and um, Shigor, this little little face, keeps popping out of nowhere, saying like, "Turn back! Don't go any further!" And you get to the top, and you find that Shigor is working with uh, the dentist. I'm blanking on his name. Doctor Lobato. Doctor Lobato. Exactly. This this dentist who's a little too bored and starts taking out brains instead of teeth. Um, and you end up finding that he has the brains of Sasha Nine and uh, Mila in the jars, and Lily is up above, tied up as well. When you unlock them all, you find out that the plot is to use these tanks and get the brains of each of the students to control these tanks and take over the world. And that's Oleander's big plot. And, uh, you know, you sabotage that with uh, the help of a extremely smart turtle. And, uh, <laughs> and then you end up having to go inside the mind of Oleander himself. You fight him first in terms of a tank, a brain in the jar, and then you meld minds with him and get inside a mind that is a combination of both his and yours, which becomes the meat circus. It is a combination of the circus that you grew up in, the, the, the mental mind of yourself, and the meat factory, the cleaver, that Oleander has deep inside of his. And it creates one of the most frustrating endings of a game there is. <laughs> I hope I can say that on behalf of everyone. It is my least favorite part of the game. It is un- unnecessarily tough. Um, it involves escort missions, which I think are everyone's you know least favorite type of mission in any type of game. Um, and the... You know, the platforming just doesn't seem fair. There are a lot of jumps that you feel like you should make that you don't. There are a lot of, um, you know, a lot of it's not quite clear where you need to go when you do need to progress. Um, But when you when you make it and you get through it all, you get to the nice ending and you're done. (laughs) You don't have to play the meat circus anymore. And you get to think back on all the fun times you had in all those other minds. I always confess, Michael, so almost all bosses, including the final boss, I did using a walkthrough because uh-huh. I, I am a very, I'm a soft boy, and if I lose <laughs> three times in a row, I either delete the game and move on, <laughs> or I go to the walkthrough if, if it's a game Michael likes, so I did this for you. Thanks, Welcome. Mo. I Welcome. appreciate it. I, I also use the walkthrough uh, when I got to how to... Um, how to defeat Oleander in the tank. Cause I, once I got to inside the meat circus, I remembered how to do it. Um, and it was actually easier than I remember it. I remember the first time I went through the meat circus was one of the most painful, frustrating things I'd ever done in gaming. Um, but I made it through and this time I found it a whole lot easier. Maybe, maybe because it was stuck in there deep inside my mind. The game has like quite a good in-game hint system as well. I don't know if you guys use that, but where um, so in your bag you have a piece of bacon, and if you like wave it around, <laughs> the professor man comes out of your ear and like will give you some hints. So I use that a lot, and that saved me from having to use a walkthrough. But uh, yeah, I use that a lot yeah. because I, I'm a bit like you, more where I'm like, if I fail too many times, I'll just give up. So there's so many good games. Um, I was grateful. Yeah. Agent Ford <laughs> Cruller sticks out of out of your ear, and it's a full head, and he says, mm, "Is that bacon?" And then you get to ask him some <laughs> questions, and the the hints that he does give are very good. Um, but there are definitely moments like. For me, the most singularly frustrating point of the meat circus 
is when you have to grind the rails um, and mm-hmm. uh, and essentially make it through to the, the very end. And I died so many times on those rails because I was holding forward to jump to the next one and I should have just been tapping A. And by the time I learned that, I had probably saved and reloaded a dozen times. Mike, did you when you replayed the game, you you, you said like you found it a little bit easier. Was it dramatic? Um, like you were you maybe in the past thought it was so hard, but now you're like, oh man, I was just ten years old. That's why it was hard. Yeah, no, I I think you're not prepped for that level of difficulty and lack of direction that they do such a great job on earlier in the game and. I mean, let's be clear. The development of this game was in peril at almost every stage throughout, but especially at the end. So I completely understand why the end of the game was the roughest. Mm-hmm. Um, but that does not excuse it from being tough, not only for, I don't know how old I was at the time, 10, 12, something like that, um, but also as a you know, full-blown adult with, uh, with hair on my chest and a, and a job. The game has like a limited save system and I messaged you guys while we were playing because I've never played a game like that and it was in Lungfish Tropolis. I was just getting killed by those big monster machines and I only had about two lives left and I was like, guys, should I reload so that I'm not screwed later on for only having two lives? And you were like, yes. And I was like, (laughs) okay then. And I am so glad that I did because during the meat circus, my lives were going down and down and I was like... I'm not starting this again. I'm going <laughs> to limp over the finish line because I'm not doing this ever again in my life. I rage quit once. And then at the final boss, I had one life left. And I was like, whew. And I got them first try. So I was like, <laughs> it, The meat circus was, yeah. It, for me, it was very difficult. <laughs> no, I, I felt the same way. Like I died and game over and had to start over at least three times. To which I wonder, like, Psychonauts 2 is obviously coming. Will they have, a like, a life system in that game? I personally really hope they don't because I found that was one of the things where I was like, this is a relic of, like, the Crash Bandicoot, like, platform era where, like, I don't necessarily think that we're here to play it like a platformer. We're here to play it like a, a game with a great story. I hope it's one of those games where, like, there's already so much of a following. They've sold so much of it. They know they've done something right. So I feel like the the whole initiative now is, like, what did we do completely wrong? Let's fix that. So I have confidence that these guys will fix any small issues like that because there was only a few. Like, they've, they've gotten the story right. They've gotten the platforming right. I'm confident, Jacob. We'll have a good second. Yeah, this game, and this game is like 15 years old, and still we're talking about it with such reverence, even though from like a gameplay perspective, it's not the most polished. I'm sure in 2005 it was, but like we're just used to a different standard now, which is why I'm like so excited for Psychonauts 2, which was supposed to be out kind of when we recorded this episode, but now it's like a 2021, like we'll we'll play it when it's done. And honestly, if Double Fine wants to take two more years with it, then they can do whatever they want because there's enough games to play and we can wait for perfection. I'd say the art style is something that I think stands out really well. And it's hard to really point to a game that long ago and say, oh man, the graphics are awesome. But I think the art style does such a good job compensating for the lack of graphical fidelity. You know, it's got this really neo 60s vibe to it. Um, and because of that, it, it, and all of the characters have this stylistic cartoonish approach to their, to their design, um, that it allows them to, 
say a lot without getting into the graphical detail that we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. And it also brings up that nostalgia thing I brought up earlier. Like when I played this game, I immediately thought like this is definitely something I would have watched growing up or like on the Cartoon Network or somewhere along the lines just of how quirky it is. The the topic's not basic. It's very like there's there's levels to it kind of thing. So it it definitely leans off like that nostalgic feel where if you have if you have watched those Saturday if you've watched the Saturday morning cartoons playing this game, you get that little bit like oh this is kind of like show x like jimmy neutron or whatever it might have been um it gives you that little bit man of, jimmy neutron good poll yeah like it's it's a similar like wacky art style like jimmy's head's weird like all the characters are like funky so it's a little it, exaggerated it, yeah exactly but, but they nailed it man they nailed it mo i need to ask you a question specifically and it's related to uh ford cooler do you remember like did the voice sound familiar to you because i think one of your favorite characters he voiced something else I am really maybe... bad with these video games. The only ones I know are like the what's it called, um, uh, the Batman and Joker, like uh, Mark Hamill and uh, Kevin Conroy. Kevin Con- Baker. yeah, those are like the only. Oh. Oh yeah, Kevin Conroy. No, those are the only ones I remember. But every voice in this game sounded familiar. Like I've heard yes. it somewhere before, but I could not put that thumb. Where it yes, I'm with you, Mo. That like Ford Cruller's voice sounds so familiar. It sounds like Grandpa from Hey Arnold, kind of. Um, but they, I wouldn't be able to like pinpoint exactly who it was. Yeah, even Oleander, so his voice kind of gave me a little bit of like, is this from like the old like st- uh, toy soldier games? Like, what, where is this coming from? <laughs> so David K specifically, he voices Clank in all the Ratchet and Clank games. Oh, oh my god! And that's that game we mentioned earlier, uh, Laura, that Ratchet and Clank. It's like <laughs> yeah, a, yeah. A, a the childhood game, I guess I, I've played at least uh, on the PlayStation side. I still have yet to play like the the new Ratchet and Clank, like Ratchet and Clank 2016. But mm. we've we've played. Me and you have played all of them. We played one of the podcasts. They're they're really great. I guess mm. that's a that's a good point to bring up our uh, next segment called uh, the recommendation machine. The recommendation machine, which is a segment where we tell you, hey, if you like Psychonauts. For X reason, whether it's story or music or gameplay, here's something else that you might enjoy. So um, I will go. I will go last uh, because I don't want to take the obvious ones. Uh, does anyone want to give a recommendation? If hey, you like Psychonauts, you will love X. Okay, I will go first, and it is if you like Psychonauts and you are waiting for a Psychonauts cartoon, you should watch Gravity Falls which is uh, an amazing cartoon that has a very similar vibe, takes place of these kids, uh, uh, you know, visiting their uncle for the summer and all kinds of paranormal things are happening around them. Okay. I'll go next. Mo, you wanted to go next? Yeah, for sure. It's one of my favorite games of all time. You guys probably know exactly what I'm going to say. It's Sly Cooper, but for a different reason than what Michael said. The reason being is you're going to fall in love with the characters that you're playing as and like the different like storylines and the quirks that they talk with each other. And that's what I think Psychonauts and Hit Nails well is you caring about the characters and so always meeting someone new and saying, oh, that's pretty funny the way they made that character. I got some something similar with the Sly Cooper series. I'd say Sly Cooper 1, dive in and you won't regret it. 
So at risk of sounding like a broken record, I want to recommend Fall Guys because of the platforming. <laughs> <laughs> it's um so there is literally a meat circus level in Fall Guys, but it's better than the meat circus. Oh yeah, like where the, <laughs> where the slime I was gonna say is you're not selling me on Fall Guys if if it's like the meat circus. <laughs> no, it's it's a good version. It's actually good because a lot of people get eliminated during that round, but um. When I was playing it for the first time, I was like, where's my levitation ball? Like, I feel like they oh. could take some <laughs> Psychonauts inspiration into Fall Guys as well. So if it's the platforming that you like, I would highly recommend giving Fall Guys a go. So I, I love that. So we've given, like, cartoon recommendations. We've given, like, more modern uh, recommendations. We've given kind of recommendations in the same era. So what I'll do then is I will give recommendations for other games in the Double Fine, plat- uh, the Double Fine catalog that you might love. Uh, Costume Quest and Costume Quest 2, different games entirely, but, like, they have that same wonderful charm that we've come to know and love from Double Fine. Even in the second game, the antagonist is also a dentist, so don't know why they have this weird thing with dentists, but here we are. Uh, There's a Psychonauts VR game um, called the... I think it's called Psychonauts in the Rhombus of Ruin, which acts as, like, a... Not a sequel, but, like, it it gives you more story between the first and the second. And... um, any of the adventure games that that uh, Double Fine does. So we played Bro- Broken Age. Uh, we've talked about Grim Fandango. There's Full Throttle. Basically, if Double Fine has a game, you should just play it. That's that's my recommendation. A really cheap one. And that's why I wanted to go last. Uh, before we close, I wanted to ask. We had one or two questions that we wanted to go through. Uh, the first one I will ask comes from. Uh, Ludo Narrative FM on Twitter. Uh, Blake asks us, if each of your minds was turned into a Psychonauts level, what would it play or look like? That is so tough. I know, That's right? such a good question. Oh, it's probably going to be just um, like a mix of our interests and our fears, right? Give me like, give me like a <laughs> yeah. second to like, I'll put one together. Yeah, what is my psychosis? <laughs> I, let, uh, go it's ahead. my PlayStation, Laura. I mean my Xbox handle. Fun fact. Okay. I had to think about this earlier on, so I'll go first if you want. Um, so I was like thinking mine would be kind of like a maze, right? And it would be all nice and brightly colored and there'd be like candy and stuff. And then there would be like a purge siren every now and again. And there would be like zombies would come out because I used to dream about zombies a lot. <laughs> and then I don't know how you would resolve it, but it would definitely be like a maze and with some platforming, with some trampolines because trampolines are fun and that would be my level. <laughs> So I'll go next, and mine's going to be a little dark, so I'm sorry. Um, But I've gone back to school a lot, and, like, as a human being, I'm, like, a a very anxious, like, project management kind of human being. So, like, mine would be in a classroom where, like, there's no paper or anything to keep yourself organized, but also (laughs) there's water pouring in from everywhere because, like, my greatest fear is, like, drowning alive. So it would be, like generic classroom but water consistently coming in and you having to escape from that oh man i was thinking yours would take place all in all entirely inside of a gantt chart but i think that's better (laughs) in excel we 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 find ourselves in excel and there i am jumping between columns in excel yes okay what would yours be Uh, this one's off the top guys i'm sorry if it's weird um so uh, (laughs) a quick quick little bit of context i uh i'm doing like a retainer like program thing to like straighten the teeth. So I haven't been snacking as much and I am a chocolate fiend. I eat chocolate all the time, but that consumption has gone down. So my dream 
would be or my brain pretty much is like imagine you're like flying over top of like a valley of every amazing chocolate bar in the world and your equipment that you're using to flying is like running out of fuel but you don't have any fuel to fill and you're kind of okay with it to like fall to your death into all this chocolate so that's what it is you're a perpetual state of like flying with fuel running out so you're gonna fall to your death but it's chocolate so you're kind of okay with it (laughs) so that's my my brain right now you're like i just want to die i just want to go into it like that's my dream Ooh, i you know i don't really have a good one mine's not very creative but mine is probably a combination of you know an endless bookcase uh, or stack of books that uh, little Wall Street traders are trying to climb to the top of. Um, and, you know, perched along the top is uh, just some sweaty esports nerds mm. just like <laughs> looking down and laughing. And I think that's probably what my probably what my uh, mind would look like. Um. <laughs> I want to ask uh, one last question uh, and first give credit to Mangle Wart from Twitter for also asking a version of this question um, of the last question. But our last question I want to ask comes from Katie Lesbrance. Um, uh, Laura, you played uh, Fall Guys on stream with Katie recently. Um, she's been on the show before. Um, she asks, is there anything in particular, mechanics, storyline, recurring character, or expansion of some element in the game that you want to see in Psychonauts 2? So basically, like, give us your wish list for Psychonauts 2. I haven't seen anything with what Psychonauts 2 is doing, like, storyline or whatever. But, like, I think it'd be really cool to see the, like, the emotional evolution of Raz, like, becoming a Psychonaut and being able to go into people's mind, helping them or not helping them or whatever it might be. But seeing his personality, because he was that quirky, like, go-getter, like, young kid who wanted to, like, solve crime and all that stuff. But I wonder if maybe now he's, like, maybe he's more compassionate because he's seen every other perspective that other people have. Or maybe he's more cold now because he's seen it all and knows how to solve every issue. Like, I'm, I'm excited to see where that deviates. Like, how does he become, how, how good of a Psychonaut does he become? And where does that story kind of go? Like, is he, maybe he's the antagonist next time. I want to see Dugan as a psychonaut and I want him to be Raz's partner. The Avengers psychonaut style. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I want a Dugan. I want a Bobby Zilch. I want a Maloof and I want a Lily in like a fantastic four of psychonauts. Very good. Very good. It sounded like Um, he named off a bunch of like mob bosses. I want Maloof. I want this. (laughs) They all got to be at the table. Uh, all that I want to see is just um, the gameplay, like the the platforming kind of be brought forward into 2020. Like, I trust Double Fine to do what they do to write and build these amazing worlds that we'll always remember. But I'm just looking for, like, maybe the combat to be a little tighter. Again, I'm talking about a 15-year-old game, so it's kind of not fair. But, like, I just want them to bring the gameplay to 2020. And, like, super excited to play this game when it comes out on Xbox Game Pass next year. Um, Laura, do you have anything that you'd want to see in a sequel? I'd like them to just continue with the really cool level designs and keep on thinking outside the box that way. Uh, that was one of my favorite things of this game. So, as well as the storylines and the attention to detail. Well, again, those are our thoughts on Double Fine's Psychonauts. Uh, before we close, I just wanted to get to see if anyone else had any takes on this on this wonderful game. Um, I would say play it. Maybe not like on on Xbox or like PS2 Classic. Like the PC version might be the way to play. Um, but I think if you can contend with the fact that it's like a 20, 2005 platformer, it is a hundred percent worthwhile to play. Anyone else have any final thoughts? Yeah, I'll 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 add that 
if you like platformers in any respect, uh, I think this is worthwhile to play. It's so well crafted, um, and it's not abusive until you get to the meat circus. That uh, so much of it is good that the the few bad bits are are definitely overshadowed. Um, and I still think, uh, you know, more than a decade later, still a worthwhile experience. And that's probably why people are still clamoring so much for the se- for the sequel. I'm gonna go a little bit off of that that track, but I'm kind of going the same direction. Um, it's it's a great game. The story's great. If you're looking for like a nice story to play along to, you won't be offended by the mechanics that bad because it is an older game, but it's still fine. But where it delivers is that storyline, is that th- thought process that you maybe you've never thought of before, like the fact that this is all happening inside the minds of kids. You're not getting crazy weapons. This is all you creating it. Um, so I would recommend it to someone to play, but only if you want to go along that adventure. If you want like core good mechanics, you want to have like an in-depth RPG experience, this isn't the game for you. This is more so, hey, do you want to go through a cool storyline that you might have never seen in any kind of piece of literature or media? This might be the one where you should spend that quality time, the 12 or 14 hours it takes to finish. Yeah, I totally agree. Like I'm it was never on my radar at all and I'm just so glad that it is now because it was so much fun even though it is such an old game and I would never have thought to pick it up I highly highly recommend as long as you're aware that it's an older game you're gonna have a good time with it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so with that uh, we will close this episode of Love Behind Game Club but before we leave um, I first off want to say Laura thank you so much for coming on the show and also for being a member of the community. Um, I, I think it's fair to say that you're one of the most active members of the community and that everyone is happy to have you. Um, so before we go, we'd love to have you um, talk about what you do again and tell people where they can find you on the internet. Oh, thank you so much. Okay, so uh, I already kind of told you about the YouTube and the Twitch and stuff. I play each game of the PS Plus monthly games and then I do a little roundup as well to sum up whether I thought it was a good month or a not so good month Um, I play a lot of the demos during the Steam Game Festivals and then make some highlight videos about which sort of indie games you should be looking out for that's upcoming and Let's Plays and recently again started streaming so uh, to find me I am Control Alt Noob on YouTube and on Twitch, I'm Control Loop Zero because somebody already had my name, unfortunately. Ah. <laughs> and, um, and then also on all the socials, Control Loop. You can kind of find me everywhere, really, except TikTok. Apparently, I should get on that. <laughs> get it while it's there. Uh, get it. Get it while it's well. It's still available. But um, there's also another place uh, where we can find you, and that is on the Left Behind Game Club Discord. Uh, Mo, why don't you tell folks how they could find? Uh, us and Laura on that Discord. For sure. If you're looking to chat with a bunch of incredible people like Laura and the team we have here, uh, our website actually has a big giant link. So if you go to leftbehindgame.club or leftbehindgameclub.com, we, if you press that button, it'll redirectly, redirect you directly to our Discord server. And you can chat about some game deals, what's coming in with the news, the X, the Xbox uh, Series X and Series S just came out. So we're talking about those in the launch of the PS5. Uh, we'd love to chat. So the more people we have, the better. And that's kind of the best thing we want. We would love for you to recommend this podcast to someone. And maybe that Discord server helps you stay with this podcast. 
And if you did listen to the show and you loved us, uh, feel free to give us a review on your podcast platform of choice. Uh, it really does help a lot. And if you did it, let us know and we will read your review on the air. Sometimes if we're not in, if you're not in the US or in Canada, it's tough for us to see those reviews. So send them to us. We'll read them off on the air. And again, thanks for your support. You can find me on the internet at Jacob McCord on all major social media platforms. Uh, I am on TikTok making Pokemon card content. I'm on YouTube making the occasional video essay. Uh, I have another podcast called Cutscenes, a video game movie podcast where we talk about video game movies. Uh, You can find the details to that at cutscenes underscore pod on Twitter or on our website at cutscenes.ca. Mike, where can the folks find you? The fine folks can find me at RufaloM on most social places online as well as MichaelRufalo.com. And Mo. You can find me on all social media platforms at Emmertati or Emmertati.com, but mostly in that Discord server. And Mike, take us home. And that, my friends, is one less game left behind.